Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. It's Chowan. Today, a slight deviation from regularly scheduled programming. What I'm trying to do right now is to share more of my own personal journey, and where better to start than in music, and also Korea. Back in 2015, I moved from New York City to South Korea, and I lived there in Seoul, the capital, for about three years. I'm Korean-American, second-generation immigrant. So stepping back on the soil of my ancestors, it definitely ignited and awakened the magic in me. And of course, regular watchers of Witches and Wine know that I always ask my guests, if you could choose three songs that represent your magic, what would they be? Because music cuts through the cerebral and it goes into what Elkisistemek of Scarlet Imprint calls the occulted body. It goes into the visceral parts, the liminal parts, the parts of us that magic originates from. One of the biggest, if not the biggest, English language station in Korea is called TBS EFM. And I've been on a couple shows on that radio station. And uh, back in December 2016, I was on a show called Talk It Up. In this roundtable interview, I discuss how the sex pistols, the music, the words, the theatrics, of the punk movement, they helped shape and form my identity. Oh, and by the way, I'm introduced on the show as Gu Cha Won. That's how you say my name in Korean. The last name comes first in Asian culture, Gu, and then Cha Won. I hope that you guys enjoy this slightly different format. Welcome to Talk It Up. Today's book is Rotten, No Irish, No Blacks, No Dogs by John Lydon of The Sex Pistols. And joining us today to talk about this book are writers Sang Pak and Ku Tawan. Sang Pak is a Korean-American writer living in Seoul. His novel, Wait Until Twilight, has been translated into Korean under the title, Tangkomiga Jiltekkaji Kidario. Hi, Sang. Hey, great to be back. And Chawon is also a writer. She used to live above a sake bar in the East Village in New York City, which was sort of her second home. Hi, Chawon. Hello, hello. So second home. New York City is your second home? Actually, just the bar. Just that very specific area. Okay, so New York City is your home and your second home is the bar. Yeah, my first home was the apartment that was above the bar. (laughs) And this bar was my living room. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I figured I was paying so much in rent. I might as well have a second floor, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's great. So let's talk about John Lydon. Who is John Lydon and the Sex Pistols? And let me let me tell you before we begin, I know nothing about punk. And that is super punk in itself. It's super punk to not know what? anything about punk. Okay. Is it like Fight Club? Uh, yes, but... Wait, did I just even... commit sacrilege by... No, in okay. fact, it's sort of like uh, you just did what would probably get you a smile, a genuine smile from Johnny Rotten. Okay. Oh, I feel so special. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about John Lydon. Well, John Lydon, 
he started the Sex Pistols or he joined the Sex Pistols, which was a kind of manufactured punk group made by this impresario named Malcolm McLaren. Mm -hmm. Um, And they only lasted for a little bit, but they totally influenced this entire youth movement in the UK. Um, And from that movement came a lot of other bands and a lot of other musicians. You may have heard of them like Susie Sue and the Banshees, The Clash, even Billy Idol came from that movement. Okay. Yeah. I am not familiar with any of these bands. Oh, so punk. Not even Billy Idol? No. White Wedding? White Wedding? No. Rebel Yo? Wow. I grew up with Deflator Mouse. Deflator Mouse. Okay, interesting. (laughs) Very, very different uh, musical traditions. We have a clip of Leiden on his message to the world. So let's listen to a little bit of Leiden himself and then we'll come back to our discussion. It's what I'm doing isn't about. adding new agendas to people it's uh, making things more acceptable which would be fine by me uh, i don't want to like, be judged. like what well i don't want to be judged as being like a total revolutionary because i'm not interested in that society can carry on doing what society does um i've had problems from childhood and the book deals with that now, when I uh, recovered, for instance, from meningitis, if you can call it recovery, it took me four years to find my, my full memory. The pain you go through of not remembering your own parents. It took a lot out of me to have to go back into my childhood and, and, and face that pain and, and, and thereby really regurgitate the, the death of my parents and, and the lonely isolationism of that. Now, I don't think I've ever made up to my mum and dad, and they're dead now, and it breaks my heart. I've never made up for them for the fact that I forgot who they were. Really, my message through my music is really bloody learn to love each other properly because you only get one go at it. I'm going to cry now. Well, based on this clip, I would say he's a very, very sweet guy. Oh, yeah, I'm quite surprised. Well, not... completely surprised because uh, by reading the book, you do definitely see a tender side of this guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he comes off as uh, a very rebellious, angry, outspoken fellow. But, you know, you learn uh, about his youth and he was just a a quiet, shy kid. You know, he has this other side to him. So what is the angry, outspoken side of him? Like, does that come through in the music? Is he into angry music or? uh, Well, you know, uh, his music was an expression of anger and rage. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, people have a misperception of punk in that it was violent or mean, but in fact, it was the opposite. I mean, it was, as he said, there was something very positive behind it. It was about just being unique, being yourself. And um, I think it's just a, a, quite the paradox that Johnny Rotten uh, would have this other very tender side, especially toward his family, as you heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tell in the book, even in the book, you can tell he has a very soft spot for his, his mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And um, what was your response to the clip, Tellen? Uh, I think there is definitely a split between John Lydon, the man, and Johnny Rotten, the stage persona. Sure, so alter ego. Yeah, the, yeah. it's sort of like Beyonce and Sasha Fierce. <laughs> but <laughs> I think the thing about Johnny Rotten is that Johnny Rotten is the shadow side of John Lydon. It's the side that says, I grew up in basically the housing projects, poor, an Irish immigrant, um, going against a classist system during a horrible economic time in Great Britain. Uh, that's Johnny Rotten. He's the voice of the disaffected youth of that time. John Lydon, the man, is actually quite intellectual. He is um, very kind of like uh, Bukowski, 
kind mm-hmm. of uh, kind of highbrow lowbrow. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a man of the people, and yet he is a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more raw. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us briefly about the punk movement before we get into the book. Like, what values did it embody? In a lot of sense, he was very anti a lot of things, like anti-establishment, anti-commercialism. But at the same time, it, it embodied a lot of positive things, like um, as I mentioned earlier. Being authentic, being your true self uh, in the face of whatever uh, society is throwing at you. Everyone is equal. It's very egalitarian, like uh, all races. Uh, women is a very kind of quasi-feminist movement as well. You know, like women mm-hmm. were considered equal at the, through that movement as well. Mm-hmm. And Taiwan uh, actually mentioned earlier very briefly about the, the situation in which uh, John Lydon grew up. But what was it about the UK that was... A perfect breeding ground for punk. Uh, well, as Chawan mentioned, it was it's, it's a very class-based system, very establishment and very proper. And, you know, th- it was something to go against. You know, it's very – for him to react to a system like that, it was very mm-hmm. – it was perfect. It was like the crucible for mm-hmm. him to like come out Push of Push against it. Push against it, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a documentary. Um, I think it's called 1992, The Year That Punk Broke. And uh, – I think Nirvana was featured in it and Sonic Youth. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw an interview where John Lydon was talking about how America back in the 70s couldn't relate to Britain back in the 70s. Britain back in the 70s was desolate. It was mm-hmm. kind of like what America went through with Generation X in the early 90s, you know, like rampant youth unemployment, people being overeducated, but not being able to get jobs, mm-hmm. just people not knowing what to do with their lives, feeling as though they're not going to live as well as their parents. So... Now that America went through it for the first time, quote unquote, first time in the 90s and Generation X coming out, the slackers and everything. Mm-hmm. So Johnny Rotten or John Lydon was talking about how now America can get into punk. Now mm-hmm. they can get into grunge music. Okay. Because the setting is perfect now. There has to be that setting. It has uh-huh. to be in context. Right, right. Let's talk about the title of this book. It's Rotten, No Irish, No Blacks, No Dogs. What is this referring to? It was Basically, uh, the racism that the Irish had to deal with, um, they were put in the same category as, of course, no Irish, no blacks, two human beings Mm -hmm. uh, also being put in the same category as dogs. Mm -hmm. You can't come into certain establishments because you are of these. So these were actual signs. There were signs on boarding houses. Oh, wow. Right. With that with that down and you know it, it definitely represents the, the small mindedness of, of, of that system at the time of this of society mm-hmm. so let's talk about the book itself what does Leiden choose to focus on in his book uh, yeah <laughs> uh, well a little bit of everything he talks about his formative years growing up the, the poverty of his youth um him like getting together with all his friends and getting pulled into the band as you said by uh, malcolm mclaren mm-hmm uh, and how, like, his life with a band, his life with his bandmates. Um, but what's really cool about the book is the fact that it's interspersed with all these other little testimonies by other people. Some of the chapters are actually by other people like his father, uh, other bandmates. And I found all these different perspectives very interesting. And oftentimes they're contradictory. Like one minute, um, one of the bandmates is t- talking about how he, was, he treated uh, Johnny Rotten so well. And then in the next uh, chapter, right after that, uh, one of the bandmates talks about how that guy beat the crap out of, you know, <laughs> Johnny Ron. So these contradictory things made it much more full, much fuller. Mm-hmm. So you get a more complete picture of both Leiden and Johnny Rotten. 
Uh, to a certain extent, sure. But mm-hmm. it was just uh, it was just much more interesting seeing all the different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. from other people as from well. Other people, right. right, right. Yeah, I think that what the book is, is the first part is kind of a description of a boy, a sensitive uh, boy growing up to mm-hmm. become John Johnny right. Rotten. So he kind of goes in a chronological order? It, kind of. Like the okay. first kind part of, okay. is, uh-huh. is more of his childhood. And then it starts to become more of a collection of stories from the punk era. Mm-hmm. And I love just how Sang mentioned he has people that he totally hates. Okay. Like what's his name? Glenn? <laughs> okay. His former bandmate that he was uh-huh. just like, I hate that guy. Uh-huh. But he has Glenn like contribute his story. And I think okay. even Malcolm uh-huh. contributes as well. And he's just like, I hate Malcolm as well. Uh-huh. All these people he hates, they contribute to it. And that I think shows something about the type of person mm-hmm. that John Lydon is, mm-hmm. and, and, and what type of person is that who would, who would ask somebody like two people he hates to contribute to his book? He is an agent provocateur. <laughs> he is somebody who's there to sort of um, rile people up. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that the band they decided we're not going to tour in New York City and L.A. We're going to go into the South where they hate us. <laughs> mm-hmm. That just shows you that that's their agenda. Okay. To be in people's faces, mm-hmm. and, and plus, you know, like hating each other to him. I, I think, in a sense, it seems like I mean, what's the big deal? So, what if we hate each other? Yeah, it's just exactly. normal, you know. What's the big deal? Oh, very punk to hate, right? Right. <laughs> and in the clip that we listened to earlier, he said that his message is that we need to learn to love each other properly. Yeah, so ironic compared to like as, at least the per- what's perceived as punk, which is oftentimes as violent or mean or whatnot. But like uh, uh, as as you can see, what's actually behind it is something very positive. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe he needed to get out all the aggression in order to get to the love part. Sure, and uh, understandably, so, and also like when you're if you're growing up in that kind of system, of course, I think his reaction was completely natural. Like uh, if you're young and you see like the hypocrisy corruption, meanness of the world, it's, I think it's a completely natural reaction to be mm-hmm. angry about it. I yeah, mean, of why course, not? Of yeah. course. Yeah. Let's look at a couple of excerpts from the book, shall we? Oh, so for me, uh, one of the most interesting things that I read in the book was the quote, the Pistols era proved to me that ideas were far more important than how well or badly you could play. <laughs> Until the Sex Pistols, nobody ever talked about this expression, quote, overproduced. End quote. You never knew the difference between an overproduced band and a raw band because before punk, there were no raw bands. So Overproduced? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, I think today people probably don't really know what raw bands sound like either. Okay. Because if you listen to all the big mainstream artists or even the ones that claim not to be so mainstream, I think a band such as, let's say, um, Arctic Monkey, mm-hmm. far more produced okay. than... Uh, the Sex Pistols or any of the punk bands ever mm-hmm. were. Uh, maybe the last time that American music was not as produced was during the grunge movement mm-hmm. in the 90s. But even that became quite slick after a while. Mm-hmm. Every, everything does. Everything w- becomes once, super commercial. Once, the, once the, the industry gets a hold of it, they turn it into a package very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lack of organicness maybe. Okay. I remember um, when The Strokes first came out, everybody went crazy in the UK for them. They were just like, oh, that warm, grungy unproduced sound you know Mm -hmm. like that grungy sound so they were kind of hailed as the saviors of rock and roll back in the early 2000s were they really that i don't know but (laughs) (laughs) i mean the strokes come on now you know like um trust fund kids from switzerland but what is raw to you hmm, that's a very good question uh i think it's um uh, raw to me is like um 
not being fixated on rules and regulations and the sound itself being more focused on the authenticity of the voice, the, the sound, expression. the expression, okay. uh, which oftentimes gets hindered by the, the production and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the rules per se, mm-hmm. um, and which can diminish the uniqueness and the power and the individuality of, of the sound of mm-hmm. the music. So a guy sitting with his acoustic guitar, would you call that raw? It could be. It it could be, or it couldn't be. Depend. I mean, I mean, if it's good, it's good. If it's Uh if it's raw, it's raw. You know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we live in a a world where there's like American Idol Mm -hmm. and um, what is it, the Next American Voice or whatever it's called. All these shows, people who are trying to sound as professional as possible, Mm -hmm. as polished as As possible. Okay. Okay. Versus raw, I think being polished is not the goal. Mm -hmm. The goal is to convey something visceral. Right. So somebody who is playing, let's say on YouTube has a video of them playing on their acoustic guitar may not necessarily be raw versus somebody who maybe uses auto tune on every single song, but is a lot more raw than the guy with the acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I guess that's what he meant by um, it's not about how badly you can play. So like to to the untrained ear or to the 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 ears that are very very used to extremely polished music it might sound like they're playing very badly but that is raw music. Yes. Okay. Raw expression. Raw is something where you know there's some bands where they're not that great quote unquote mm-hmm. but all the kids love them everybody just loves them for some reason. Mm-hmm. The energy the energy, the message, something. It's mm-hmm. like that un... You can't explain it. It's okay. just something raw. Mm-hmm. Could you could you uh, uh, kind of parallel that to some, to soul? To soul? Because soul is something you can't really put your finger on. You just kind of... You mean S-O-U-L soul? Yeah, S-O-U-L soul. Not the soul. city? Yeah. Not the city? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I saw, I saw, that's what I was thinking. Like, okay. it's something kind of parallel to that. It's you got soul. It's got soul. It's raw. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's basically... <laughs> Kind of like music that white people are afraid of. That's what raw is. That's what raw is. Basically, it's like the the establishment, the white dudes who are in charge of making money from the music. Uh-huh. What they're afraid of okay. until they see the ka-ching. Okay. And then it becomes not as raw, but it started off raw. But here, here the, the, what I think would be interesting is if, if raw music became kind of popular, it would become like there would be a kind of corporate raw. Corporate raw. Corporate raw. Corporate raw. Once they get a hold of something that they think they can make money off of, they'll, they'll use it. If it's okay, raw, well, do oh, you get raw uh-huh. for corporate. Yeah, if the kids yeah. like raw music, right, we're going right. to use this to mm-hmm. make money, which kind of what, what happened with grunge music. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, let's look at your excerpt. Can you tell us where it's from and what it's about? Uh, yeah, it, well, it's, it kind of it's in tune with what we were just talking about. It's, it's, it's the fact that um, with the Sex Pistols, the, the 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 essential thing wasn't the music; it was the spirit and the energy. Mm-hmm. So a few of the testimonials uh, touched on that. So, for example, one fellow, Julian Temple, said, um, "I was initially attracted by the ferocity and originality of the Pistols, not as musicians, but as a band and attitude. You can't take one side in terms of the Sex Pistols' importance. It was more than a band; it was a theatrical presence on stage." Shock theater was uh, that was beautifully designed. It had incredible anger and power that seemed rooted in things older than rock and roll. And another quote by uh, Carolyn Kuhn, what Johnny was doing with the pistols was dramatizing rage. That was always misunderstood. I've always pegged the pistols as the theater of rage, a very good place to put your violent feelings. What resulted was the mistaken notion that punk was violent. 
So there, there's that idea again that people have this misconception of punk as violent, but it was a dramatization. Absolutely, of anger. it was kind of performance art and a place where the musicians and the audience could uh, have a catharsis and release that anger amongst uh, like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, one of the one of the artists who were um, giving testimonials was uh, Chrissy Hind. Her sections were my favorite because she seemed so even keel and had a very clear. I, I really liked her voice. Um, but yeah, she she mentioned the same thing. How uh, the Pistols' music wasn't unique; their their spirit was unique, mm-hmm. and that's what attracted the people. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, John Lydon also mentions that Johnny Rotten, the persona, was crafted from watching this movie of Laurence Olivier play Richard III. It was just like the over-the-top, melodramatic, hunchback, curmudgeon Richard III became Johnny Rotten mm-hmm. on stage. So it was truly theater. And we're not even talking about good theater. We're talking about <laughs> raw theater. Raw theater or even like just like totally kitschy, cheesy, just over, over-dramatic theater. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when you think about things like mosh pits or places where people can safely, if we can use that word, take out their anger. (laughs) Um, What what would be the advantage of that? Like, what would be the purpose of dramatizing rage on stage as the Sex Pistols did? Versus going out and rioting. Okay, (laughs) I see your point. I see your point. It was an opportunity for for kids to like vicariously kind of uh, express that rage and Mm -hmm. like connect in a weird way with the band. And it's safe. And, you know, it's funny, the violent aspect, you know, Johnny... Rotten met, mentioned the fact that he hated when he saw violence in, in like in, in the audience. He didn't mm-hmm. like that actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wanted mm-hmm. like you know kids to be like you know like like a mosh pit per se at that time. But like violence is violence per se. No, absolutely mm-hmm. not. He didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I checked out this book on Goodreads, and apparently, this book left a great impression on many teenage readers. And Taiwan, you mentioned uh, last time you were here like that me. this. <laughs> This book changed your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think I first read this when I was 15 or 16. And if you grew up in the suburbs, um, kind of like a middle, upper middle class suburbs, and this is before the internet became ubiquitous, you don't really have many sort of ways to figure out about the world outside of Mm -hmm. suburbia, but you just know something's not right. And you Mm -hmm. just know it's boring here. (laughs) And you you have to figure it out yourself. Exactly. You can't just Google it. Through books, because this was before the internet age. Exactly. So you actually had to scour the world to Uh find something, some sort of guide. How How did you find it? Oh, I think I saw on PBS some sort of documentary. So interesting. PBS. PBS. The most yeah. mediocre okay. and adult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After like three Motenners, uh-huh. <laughs> there was some documentary about the history of rock and roll. And I was like, hmm, let's just watch this. Uh-huh. And then just little clips about the punk movement. And I was like, Let, let's go to the bookstore. Let's go to Barnes and Nobles when, you know, like people actually went to bookstores. Mm-hmm. And let's look at some books. And I looked through it. And I think because the Sex Pistols were formed when the actual members were teenagers, they were 18, 19, maybe 17 years old, I could relate to them. And also, even though I wasn't living in their sort of poor circumstances, I kind of felt isolated, just like Johnny Rotten did. I was like, I understand this guy. I totally understand. And then after that, it was just, again, looking through PBS, trying to look through every (laughs) single documentary, looking through magazines and stuff like that, trying to find find out as much as I could about this movement. And I think that book was sort of like the gateway into learning about, oh, now let's learn more about 
70s, like New York City punk mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. You know, let's go away from like the rage. Let's talk about the artistic part. But, you know, like when you're a teenager, the flashy things catch your eye. And I was like, mm-hmm. the persona of Johnny Rotten, great for an angry, confused teenager. Mm-hmm. So what part of this book, is there anything particular about this book that really moved you or really had a great influence on you at that age? I think it's basically being told almost like an encyclopedia of great music mm-hmm. uh, from the British point of view. Mm-hmm. Before Johnny, before this book, I don't think I really appreciated, let's say, David Bowie as much. But David Bowie, he kind of started everything. Mm-hmm. And I, so it's kind of him talking about the genealogy of punk music, which also is the forefather of grunge music, which when I was a teenager was starting Mm -hmm. to become big. Mm -hmm. So Riot Girl music, Nirvana, all these bands, they were from the Sex Pistols. Mm -hmm. If there is a teenager out there who's on the fence about this book, what would you say? (laughs) On the fence? Uh In regards to... Should I read it or not? Sure, absolutely. I mean, it it has really, really positive values and it really, like, um, I actually think it's still, it's relevant for someone at any age. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the the feelings he the, the, like I, like I said like as far as reacting to what's what's going on in society I think it's a very natural reaction and and like how I, I think when a writer is this honest as honest as he is like uh, you have to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all out of time unfortunately, but thank you so much, Sang and Taiwan, for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off. <laughs>